Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Sound Wars Collection. I'm Michael Coleman, and I'm incredibly excited to talk with the sound team behind God of War Ragnarok, the latest release from the God of War series. For those of you that aren't familiar with the series, God of War goes back to 2005. If you can remember PlayStation 2, they had the critically acclaimed follow-up God of War in 2018, which is a PlayStation 4, and now with God of War Ragnarok being featured on the PlayStation 5. It's been an incredible experience to follow these characters and the world and the storyline. Joining us is Michael Kent, sound design supervisor, Bo Jimenez, sound design lead, Brian Higa, sound design lead, and Alex Previty, sound design lead. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Any video game, for those who don't work in video games, might not realize that the lead time, how long it takes to produce a game, is pretty incredible. It's many years. It's a very iterative process. When you guys found out that this game was gonna be produced, what were your thoughts just about going back into the acclaimed world of God of War? I mean, from 2018, phenomenal, well-celebrated game. What were your guys' initial thoughts, you know, just about even tackling a follow-up like this? Well, it's funny, because I started like a, a couple years into the process, actually. So um, there was an op opening opportunity to work on the project. And, um, I was like, I gotta, I want to work on that game. 2018 was so good that I was like, I kind of want to be a part of it. And then getting there was like, you just realize how, how strong the team is. And you're like, okay, this is like a really cool place to work. Everybody's bringing their a game to the, to the franchise. So I like, I got to step up, I got to step up here. Cause it, it, yeah, like everything, everything that was coming out of the studio is just so, so high quality. So, so yeah, it was very challenging and rewarding at the same time. It just in general. What about for you, Bo? What, what, what were your thoughts going in, uh, being that you were going to be, you know, putting a lot of your time and attention to creatures and bosses and enemies, which is about 99% of this game? Yeah, that's a lot of it. They, they, I feel like um, Santa Monica Studio as a studio is very combat centric and they are some of the best in the industry at combat. Um and yeah, I mean, I guess stepping back, you know, we we started working on it, I feel like feeling like there's, you know, there there are giants that came before us, you know, the whole standing on the shoulders saying and and so we knew that all right, we have a lot to do to hit that quality that 2018 hit. And 2018, you know, sounded incredible. Um and so you know, I think we got there, but uh, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of time, a lot of talent, a lot of people. And I guess, you know, I guess starting with creatures, right? The fortunate thing is that uh, the team ported a lot of the 2018 creatures to Ragnarok, um, but also hosted a ton of new creatures, new creature families, new bosses. So really the idea was, you know, taking the, the, uh, the style and aesthetic of 2018 and just honoring it, but doing a little bit of our own thing um one one big thing we did was and this kind of bleeds into brian's pillar the player they're called cinematic finishers or cs but basically the idea is you know after you stagger an enemy and you the r3 button is prompted there's a very cinematic moment where the camera pushes in and then you just get this visceral intense kill moment or damage moment or whatever it is right and that makes you feel like this vicious greek god of of you know kratos and so the sound obviously we wanted to feel incredibly filmic because it's a quick linear moment. So, you know, we looked, we listened to a lot of movies um, and kind of realized like, oh, you know, a lot of the hard effects are in, are in center. Oh, a lot of the cool, maybe non-diegetic whooshes and, 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 and viciousness comes from the rears. And so I did a lot of, you know, rear to front kind of like uh, 
big, big sounding cinematic uh, 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 kind of quality to it. And yeah, so I, I would say uh, a lot, of, you know, we're inspired by a lot of the work you do, Michael, with Soundworks. We listen to a lot of the, the film, the film community because we're very inspired by them. And, and so that was a big approach to creatures. And, and, the, and when you kill the creatures is we want it to feel as cinematic as possible. And, and that's a big topic because uh, it's gameplay, right? So the player needs to know, oh, this enemy is about to attack me. And so the concept of tells was really huge, um, really needing to, to have a crystal clear mix. And Alex and Mike are going to talk a lot about mix probably later. But, um, you know, with creatures especially, you need to know when you're about to get hit because we need that to be fair. You know, we, we don't want you to go, what did I just get hit by? You know, we need to make sure that you had a chance you heard of you heard of a terrifying sound of a creature you know about to spit out acid or whatever it is right if you look back and you say how many sounds were created for this game you kind of lose track because you're not looking at the full picture you're looking at piece by piece you know i think of just uh brian your work with just atreus and kratos uh the amount can you give us a, a sense of the the size and scale of how much you know dialogue how, how much player you know what fully or just aspects even just for central characters like this that you're you're responsible for yeah well the the, the interesting thing the fun thing about player pillar and also the most challenging thing is is that it touches almost every single pillar every single department because the player a video game you know is based upon what players input is like their but the buttons that they press the things they select the player can do all that and anything that they can player do uh touches all these different aspects so kratos and atreus they both were like heavy in terms of features that that bled into all these different departments so like, yeah so like say for kratos and atreus they both had um we had to do a whole system for their their fo the foley and their gear um what they were wearing and, and not just like running around but like runs walks sprints landing rolling diving uh and then on top of that then you, that goes into the footsteps on the surfaces uh so for instance uh we we wanted to get way more detail with the footsteps in terms of the, the different actions that the player can do um and we want to have like a very distinct feeling between when you're walking running and sprinting and then we also wanted really detailed ins and outs between all those different states so i uh, we probably had around i wouldn't say 17 different unique variations for footstep types and then we had 25 different surfaces uh so then and then multiply those by two because we have kratos's you know big weighty feel of their of the footsteps versus atreus who's way more nimble um so with, that's like 50 different surface uh types um and then 34 different variations of the different movement steps So then that's just like moving around. So then we still got Kratos' um, his runic abilities, which he's got uh, 10, about 10 for each weapon, eight for the spear. There's three of those. And so some of them are coming back from 2018 and then uh, the rest are new.
and Atreus also, he has, you know, his sets of runic abilities. He's got, and then they've both got these different weapons that they, um, that they use for the combat. Uh, and yeah, so it, I could just keep going on, but yeah, there, there's, there's lots, like, like we mentioned before, Cinemaker Studio, they're well known for their, their, their craft and their world-class, um, standard for combat. And so combat takes the forefront in terms of, um, the amount of the, the, the amount of, uh, the the sound palette for these two alex for you being that you're taking the lead on ambiences and as a technical mixer interactive gameplay ambience a lot like you know there's a reason that these get segmented in into just specialties of focus on just this because when like you know what brian's describing here it starts to get into multiple multiples that are just astronomical and obviously focusing and being a specialist in one aspect is really important because then there's maybe um, consistency and continuity across. Uh, can you just describe the scope and scale again for ambiences? Because, you know, with this Ragnarok, we don't, we revisit some familiar locations, but now we're, we're opening it up to different, you know, like the nine realms basically that are pretty, you know, they're vastly different sonically. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I don't recall the exact number, but on um, God of War 2018, you know, you know that these realms exist, but you can't really fully visit them like you can in this game. So in Ragnarok, you can visit all the nine realms, and a lot of them are very extensive. And um, like for example, in 2018, you, know, you could visit Uspelheim, but in this game, it's a lot more expanded. There's places you could never go before, um, which is great because you kind of learn more about all these different realms and what makes them special. But as a result, there's a lot more work to be done in terms of establishing, you know, all of these areas and having them sound a certain way. Um, so in order to do that, you know, it's definitely a lot of work because like some of the realms are absolutely humongous, like Manaheim, for example, this big jungle area that you can be in not only during the day, but also at night and change it, you know, on a whim. So there's a lot of kind of challenges in terms of making sure that we had coverage everywhere, but also that everything sounded, you know, immersive and fantastical. Because it's not, you know, your average, you know, area you're hanging out in, you know, it's like very over the top. You know, there's lots of rich lore and a lot of rich surroundings, you know, a lot of flora and fauna that you've never seen before. So how do you kind of make it feel and sound as awesome as it looks? Um that was a pretty big challenge because luckily the art team at SMS is beyond talented. So trying to make audio that matches that or even, even comes close was definitely like really fun. But I think, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to make it feel amazing. And, uh, you know, I think we tried our best and I'm really happy with how it turned out, but yeah, there's a lot of places in this game you can visit. And, uh, it's definitely fun to try to see how you can make each realm feel different, you know. When you start looking back at PlayStation 2, 3, 4, at the time, completely, you know, groundbreaking technologies. But now where we're at with a PlayStation 5, both both the game engine for the visuals and the, the you know, the audio is pretty incredible. So what could you guys tell going from a PlayStation 4 to a PlayStation 5 of, of in terms of the dynamic range, um, the just like, how are you complimenting the visuals? Because it's just a stunning game from top to bottom with, with you know, characters and detail and uh, just, you know, all, all the technology that gets put into just the visual aspect. We, like, we want more fidelity. We want more detail in, for the, in the pixels, right? Because the really magical thing about game audio is, um, and this is really audio in general, um, is when, a, the, when the picture looks pretty, you know, 
sound, good sound will elevate that picture. And it's, and it's vice versa. Like it's almost like they talk to each other. So like with, you know, with Alex's ambiences, for instance, like he's going to make the visuals look more rich because the sound that you're hearing is almost elevating your senses. You know, it's almost making you, you know, maybe you hear rocks shifting. So now your eye looks more at those rocks and then you go, oh, wow, the detail in like those rocks are really fascinating, really cool, right? High, you know, great textures, whatever, right? So yeah, I think the I think the PS5 is, you know, I mean, in the end, if you think about it, it is, it's almost more work for us, right? Because like, as the game gets more detailed, maybe they put more particle effects, really cool, like snow particle effects coming from trees or whatever it is, right? And so, well, we should probably hit that, you know, we should probably, you should probably hear some snow trickles when, you know, you bump into the tree and the snow trickles. Um, so, you know, to me, it's just richness. And I think, I think the more rich the game is, the more you feel like you're in it, the more you feel like you're the player, the more you feel like invested in in the game, which is really all we care about. We, you know, we're, we're storytellers and we want the player to feel like they're that character experiencing that world and getting enveloped in that world. So the, be- you know, the higher fidelity, the, 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 you know, the, the visuals are, the more we can lean into higher fidelity audio, the more detail and more quality. Right. We just have a higher frequency, of, like a wider range of frequency that we can play with. The advancements of 3D audio, too. So like the PS5 is pretty powerful and has some pretty amazing 3D audio tech. Um, like, for instance, like if you play the game and you're fighting Thor, uh, all like after every big move, he actually has like the thunder rolls that roll out. They're in quad, but they're, they play above your head. So if you have headphones on, like it feels like you get this height perspective that's kind of insane. Uh, and there's a lot of like awesome stuff in the game that that uh, uses that tech, and also like the solid state drives, right? Like the, you, we can start playing things faster. Everything's just more snappy. Uh, yeah, more more we can play more content, get more layers. We can layer things more like here in a film too, right? So you can actually mix things better. Um, yeah, lots of great stuff. Like other than high fidelity output, you know, and high fidelity high fidelity visuals, like Mike was saying, like we also have higher fidelity like channel configurations, right? So you're not just limited to 5.1 or 7.1 as your the high end of your output. I mean, now we have 3D audio, which is a combination of like various things, ambisonics, audio objects, things of that nature. So I think you can get away with a lot when you're strictly dealing with a channel-based format. That's not even Atmos. So if your maximum, you know, supported channel count is like 7.1, you know, you can kind of cheat a lot of things and make it feel good because you know that, you know, the player is only going to be listening to this or lower. But once you have 3D audio, I think spatial precision is really important. So you can't just get away with putting like a stereo sound on this creature anymore. Now you have to think, okay, well, you know, its foot is here, its arm is here. So you kind of have to split sounds up and tag them on their actual locations. And you really have to think about like representing the space representing the actual position of the sound in an accurate way and designing your sounds to work like that, um, which is a little bit more work. But at the end of the day, I think when people are playing with the 3D audio enabled, there's a, it's a lot more of an, of an immersive experience compared to more traditional, you know, channel based formats. Uh, you know, when we start digging into some of the specifics, I, I think even, um, you know, looking at uh, Garm, uh, you know, one of one of the, the kind of like set pieces of, you know, or, or good, a good example of, you know, basically how the visual like what we see visual uh, uh, the visuals of a, of a character like arm uh you can do so much 
And uh, I think there's like little subtle, it's, it's just like a masterclass in and of itself. So maybe just using Garm as one example, what, what can you guys say, Bo, maybe just describe the, the iterative process. I think, you know, uh, how, how, how does Garm, uh, how, how is Garm a good example of, you know, cr uh, creatures in terms of like size and scale? I mean, Garm really is a narrative tool to just kind of further push Kratos and Atreus's relationship because the the very short idea of, of Garm's purpose really was like Atreus makes a mistake, he recognizes the mistake, and then Kratos, now the best dad on earth, he's trying to be a good dad, right? Now he goes, son, we're going to fix this together. And then they go and essentially tame Garm and, and spoilers, but Fenrir's soul goes into Garm and the soulless hellhound of, of, of Helheim, uh, Fenrir's soul gets imbued with it. So now he's literally the cutest giant puppy on earth. So, um, and it, it was just a narrative, it was just a big narrative tool that was really cool. So for me in charge of like the, the, you know, the boss feature, as well as kind of the interweaving narrative stuff throughout the level, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about uh, storytelling and the good thing about it was um, the game director on Ragnarok, his name's Eric Williams. He's really collaborative and really invested in, in his team. So me and him were able to talk often about Garm, like just approaching Garm. And he had really simple feedback or not feedback, but direction on it. That was that was perfect. And, and he said, you know, Garm is a soulless hellhound and Fenrir is your best friend. And that's more than enough information to understand how to do the sound, right? So, um, you know, when he's when it's Garm the boss, the enemy, it's terror. It's it, it should send chills. It's it's gargantuan, terrifying. But then, you know, you totally flip that script when when Garm becomes Fenrir, right? When it gets imbued with Fenrir, so you're hearing more emotive content, more um, puppy-like content. Uh, so for that. Um, that was a good collaboration between Sweet Justice and I on uh, on that whole kind of feature. Um, uh, they did a lot of uh, cinematic work initially on it. Um, then I only did a couple stuff with with basically Gar Fengarm, I think is <laughs> a name for. Looking at uh, Randy Tom's work on How to Train Your Dragon, you know, Toothless is a great example of of a, a, a creature that can sound very scary, but then very endearing a moment later, all for the purpose of narrative, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was that that was you know really a, a really gratifying creature to to final and to work on with the team. Oh! In terms of, because we're talking about 3D audio, yeah, that was the most large creature in the game. Um, and the creature kind of spanned the whole level in Helheim. So you're trying to tame, uh, trying to basically uh, uh, keep Garm out of Helheim because he's, he's destroying the whole realm, right? Um, Atreus does his ways. He thinks how to how to uh, how to um, 
uh, get Garm and then Kratos does his. And Kratos is the hard way, right? Which is kill. Uh, stab a bunch of times with the blade, right? Um, and so it's cool to see that dynamic of them working together and for, and continuing their relationship. But yeah, in terms of 3D audio, you know, because it's such a grand object in the world, Garm, um, yeah, you know, you, you think about like, all right, there's, you know, he has obviously four paws, four feet, so each one is the, the the feet are correctly tagged on each paw he has a long you know physics and animated um key animated uh chain so you know there's different uh positions on that that are on the rig where i am playing sounds up here on the chain or at the end of the chain uh, to hear the dragging so you know if you go under garm you kind of hear him all around you right but then if you're more distant it's still pretty accurate in, in game space where you're hearing um, all of these sounds firing off. So, I mean, that was a great example of, yeah, just spatiality, right? And using the 3D audio tech for the PS5, you, you can get a, a great sense of that. Brian, even looking, diving deeper in, into uh, Atreus's, um The Sonic Arrow, I find that uh, when we talked about impacts and interaction with enemies, these are cues that we're listening for. We're, lo- we're looking for impact, whether we hit a character or not. Talk about the, you know, the designing the, uh, the Sonic Arrow, because it, to me... It's a it's a signature sound of Atreus, and it, it it's it's very rewarding to fire fire that arrow. Sonic arrows. I think that was one of the first things I started working on when uh, we were working on Ragnarok, and it was one of those things that was just iterated on for the next you know two and a half three years. Up until the last like that last week we were in the build but yeah it was it, it really honestly like it santa monica studio made it really easy to design sounds for this because they whenever they did their iterations they they'll go hard in one direction and then figure out find out answers quickly and see if, what's what what works so it's always you know inspiring to see what they're doing first and how i can kind of help in terms of uh reinforcing some of those goals but luckily, you know, Sonic Arrows, uh, and it's, it's in its name. It's, you know, it has to do with sound. So I, I knew already, like, okay, this is going to be a great showcase for, for odd, for sound to help kind of tell the story of this, this ability. So yeah, we, I, um, I think it was one of those things we built over time. So I had an iteration in there and I knew that it, we wanted to have a tonal element so that we can, it, where it's able to, you know, pick your ear while it's being shot. Um, and one of the, I think the interesting thing that they were really trying to figure out the timing for was that moment of an impact where it, it hits something. There's almost like a moment where it like something kind of comes out and then it implodes. And so the, it was really awesome to be able to kind of play with that, that timing and try to tell this really cool story of something that's like bursting and then to getting kind of sucked in and then also exploding again. Um, so we did a lot of iteration, like tons of iteration to get feedback from, you know, combat design, the director, you know, all these guys, everyone else on the audio team. Uh, we just wanted to make sure it felt good uh, each time because I think that's, that's at the end of the day, that's what we want to design for, especially for combat. It's like, does this feel good? You don't, you won't know until you have the control in your hand and you're literally doing it. Um, so we got a lot of source from all, all from all different parts of the, uh, the production. And one of the things that we might go into a little bit later, but we, we went to, we went on a desert trip to the Painted Valleys, I think that was the name. Um, and we we were mainly going there as like kind of like a, a you know, like a audio team uh, get together so that we can go out and record things in the, out in, in the field for fun. But we also, the goal was to get these really cool IRs 
for Alex. And um, luckily, uh, we had uh, Jeremy Rogers with us, and he's a like expert uh, whippist. I don't know what the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he we basically went and these we found really cool areas that um, that we could have like that really strong transient for to capture an IR and see what we could b bounce off different um, parts of the canyon. that already that moment was already planting a seed for me because like it was like that crack and i and it kind of came back later when we were when we were designing for the that sound for the sonic because we wanted to be able to hit players need to know when you when you hit something and that crack is just so iconic and like it, when you hear it you kind of know what it is so I, I wanted to pull that element into that and then also we wanted to be able to have the the arrow by feel like an arrow but also feel have this really interesting um, tonal element for for sound so we got a lot of uh, recordings while we were you know in the desert we we got recordings of just slingshots of bullet casings and uh, paper clips uh, we found out that the things that made the best sounds like the best source were things where they that object could manipulate this the air around it as it traveled so like bullet casings of course you can get this really cool whisper or um, whistle and uh, I think Alex had this really great idea about paper clips at the time, and that was even cooler because it you know, the, the sound of the paper clip is just really dispersing all this air around it. So we got a lot of cool source from that. And then I knew that I wanted something really kind of pleasant and tonal from for the the era as well. So um, this was during you know the, in the middle of lockdown, and we were all in our, in our homes, and I wanted to pick up a you know everyone pick up. Uh, talents and skills and I, I ordered an ocarina and I just was trying to you know just learn it for fun but I also was like well maybe I can get some cool hollow tones from this and, and use it for the sonic arrows so that became kind of the the basis of the total element for the the buys and also when it explodes just that it'd be able to help the player kind of pick out a tonal element when things are like in the heat of battle uh, they know that their their sonic arrows activated But I, I found this really cool, uh, like, I think it was like laser base and I was just kind of messing with it. And I figured, and I was just, um, I remember playing it and like, it was, it would get these really cool, like really warbly sound, sounds in, in there. But then it also had this really synthetic laser high end mid, mid to highs. So I, all I did was just, I got an EQ and wiped all those high and mids out. And all you what were left with was just really interesting, smooth like motion of these like uh like energy like almost chaotic energy so that was kind of the meat of the sonic arrows uh and then like all together just getting it in there and iterating and feedback um that was kind of like that was the road to where we ended up with <laughs> 
it's a question of, hey, kids, do you want to become a sound designer for video games after what you just described? It's like, that is that is the level of detail that I just, you know, it, it, you see it obviously in, you know, in film and TV, but I think video games, people are, you know, they, they kind of forget how much tech and how much consideration goes into character characters and world building. Um, you know, just putting uh, Thor as a centerpiece, Michael, talk to me just about the first battle, the introduction of him to me is just like, it seems like a whole ep episode of a, of a TV show. It's just, there's, it keeps going and it keeps evolving. And uh, he's, you know, the character returns in a way that I feel like is just so gratifying as a player. Um, you guys are doing, there's so many elements just to Thor even. Yeah, do you want to talk about him? Yeah, like early on, I I, I, I wanted to, this is the one, like, I, there's a, like as a supervisor, you can only do a couple things. Like besides like helping manage the team and, and all that, right? Unblock the team is really what I was doing, but I, I was lucky to be able to do Thor and some spear work, but Thor, I guess the idea was like, you know, like how do you make him sound powerful and big, but not Marvel was the question, right? Um, not that Marvel, you know, Marvel sounds great. It's just that they wanted its own identity. So the idea, I guess, really was finding what a grounded hammer would sound like. So we, we have some tone and some like nice whoosh in there. Um, you know, like, U-bars uh, make really cool whoosh sounds and they make really, it's almost like a very tonal, like kind of airy sound. And you mix that with like, um, we have some video of it. It's like uh, just like processed metal, like just to create overtones. And then we'd use that with the, that tone. And then the electricity is actually, one sec, this, this here, uh, I use a, a transducer microphone and I ran this, this ball through this modular rig and I was using a transducer microphone and it actually became, it actually became a controller uh, and it was picking up the electricity in a way and I was amplifying it in a way where it, where you could get movement out of it. And the further away you pulled away the mic, it would like create these like movements. So that was the base of the electricity. But then on, on top of that, cellophane is one of your best electricity sounds like to get that whistly kind of sound to it so that was layered in it so it, it would always start with like a high whistle kind of sound going to this meteor electricity uh and then the tails were actually like duct tape like folded and like just getting really almost like msr like going up to the mic and like clicking on the like like this and then you, you distort that. It, it's like really cool. So those elements with a hammer. The idea was is you had his basic moves. So you had his, his basic swings. And then he always had an uppercut or he has like a hammer down. Each move had to build to those other moves. So the hammer, basic hammer swings were always kind of smaller. And then as he got into the bigger moves, like the uh, basically the uppercut, at the end of the uppercut, in the middle of it, actually, we always, I used sonic booms, like kick drums and like just to push the air. And that would always lead into like quad thunder. And that thunder, like I said, would I would delay the sound. The idea with Thor was I, I tried to delay the sound as much as I could to make it sound as big as possible. 
And then like it would start sounding out of sync and I'd just bring it back to the point where it was like in sync. Um, and then, yeah, like it, once everything was working, um, it was just a lot of iteration uh, and then fighting Kratos over and over again. I'm not leaving till I see the real Get up! A lot of the tonal stuff when the two, the hammer and the uh, axe collide uh, was all stuff we did in the studio. Uh, and then just distorting metal, like hitting it really hard. Oh, using a Nagra too. We recorded a bunch of stuff with the Nagra. And if you overdrive a Nagra, it has the best tape saturation. And so we were banging metal and distorting it, then cleaning it, and then just, ah, yeah, it was great. So all of that together. Uh, and in the end fight, obviously he's more powerful. So like that was a whole nother section, right? So there was like all those sections. And then in the middle, you have all the like transitions. Uh, so, you know, spoiler alert, he kills Kratos uh, and then revives him. So yeah, it's it was just fun to put all that together and just have it all work. Uh, one of the coolest things, though, is his his he, when he recalls his hammer. When I was talking to the designer, I was like, "Okay, what what's what's the thing that makes this really cool?" And he's like, "Oh, he recalls his hammer by snapping his fingers." I was like, "What? No way!" So right away, like we we had to do that. So Alex and I, and Bo, I think Brian was there too. We all went into the hallways. We started like recording snaps, did some in the studio, and I think it's a combination of Alex and mine's snap. But yeah, so we try to play that up wherever we could, right? So if you you'll hear the snap, the hammer will come back, um, and then it's all in the cutscenes too. But it's like one, it's one snap, because the game director, like we once we got it, we're like that's the snap. We can't change that. <laughs> like that's it. So so in all the trailers, everything that it's that one snap. Mystics are molded. You put him last, even in death. The fuck you say? Modi sought us in fear of you. He died of the wounds you gave him. Oh, we got a model father When you describe it now and I play it back, you forget how many, iter uh, not iterative steps, but just how, like the sequence of a character and the nuance, like we're talking about, the nuance of what you guys are, are creating is so uh, essential, you know, for, for, um, like proximity and spatial awareness. Like, you know, a lot of times you're, you're like trying to dodge incoming enemies and the spatial audio is giving you uh, proximity and, and being able to place them. A lot of times we hear people before we see them. Um, Alex, what, what can you say? How, how do you prep your ambiences and, and how does that, how does that get layered in in terms of volume wise, in terms of, you know, when it comes to battles and also the fact that, you know, you have someone like com uh, composer Bear McCreary who's delivering you music that's also going to play for a lot of these. So, yeah, well, what's the delicate balance for all that? As unfortunate as it is to say, most of the time, ambience is probably the least important thing in the mix. Um, I mean, it's very important because if it's done well, you'll never notice it. And it really helps establish the setting and even the mood, right? But when things are getting really important, either combat wise or narratively it's kind of the last thing you want to get in the way because at that point there's a lot more important stuff in there like combat sounds enemy tells you know 
dialogue, uh, his beautiful music, you know, Bear's beautiful score. So we've had a lot of stuff going on. So the biggest one, which I think was Mike's idea, was that when music comes in, even ambient music, not even like cinematic or battle music, we would actually use the RMS of the music with a super slow attack and release, like really slow and turn down the ambience, but also apply a high shelf to it. So you still kind of get the body and the feeling that there's like presence there, but all the really rich detail, like that would fight with a lot of the music stuff um, kind of went away. So it was kind of like a, a seamless, smooth juggling of like the music so when the music would kind of ebb and flow, so when the music would kind of die down and be a little bit more gentle, the ambience would come up. And then when the music would swell, you know, the ambience would turn down to kind of give it some room. Because the last thing we want is all this nasty buildup of all these frequencies. When in reality, the music's a little bit more important. If it's, if it's swelling, you know, we want to hear the, the notes that are in there. In combat two, the combat music was quite a bit louder than the ambient exploration music, so we leverage that even further. So when combat music is playing, it's like really turning down the ambience. But in the game settings, if you turn music off, now the ambience won't be ducked as much, so it's a little more present. But we are doing some basic state-based stuff too. So when combat does start, we're turning ambience down a little bit just to get it out of the way. And then with cinematics, every single cinematic in the game has its own custom state we're in. So we can fine tune the ambience for each cinematic. So even though when the cinematic stems were delivered to us, there is some ambient stuff there to help narratively build the scene. Like most of what you're hearing or a lot of it in some cases is the in-game ambience. And we want it to be cohesive and seamless because God of War you know, has the thing where it all feels like one big camera move. There's, no, there's never a cut, you know, it's like 1917 style. Um, so, in that regard, we also want the ambience to feel similar in that it's all seamless. So if we like had a hard cut and then now we're hearing a different thing, like it would just kind of throw the player out and kill the immersion. So we were doing a lot of management of every part in the game. We were always looking at ambience to see how we could play it up or play it down depending on the moment. And luckily, a lot of the systems we set up were, were systemic in real time. So it kind of just mixed itself once you get it all set up. Um, but that in conjunction with all the kind of one-off mixing we were doing for narrative moments, I think really helped it sit in the right place. So, you know, there's a lot of humility being an ambience person, knowing that like yours is going to be the first one to go when things get real. But I think, you know, as long as the core experience as a player, you know, needs to hear is being delivered well, then like whatever makes it happen. Kind of focusing on one of the, another aspect, a big component of this game is this, you know, I love the pronunciation. A Yallerhorn, is that correct? Yallerhorn, is it? Yeah, Gall Gallerhorn. I think Yallerhorn. Yeah, uh, is, yeah. This one is weird because, like, I, when I when we knew that the Yallerhorn was going to be in, we're like, well, what are we going to do for this? Like, you know, we can find some horns. COVID hit. We're like, none of us can go into a studio. We're all in our homes. We're like, okay, well, what are we going to do for this? Like, I don't know, but I've I've got a bunch of friends that studios in sweden 
And I decided to call call my friend, and I was like, okay, uh, hey, do you know anybody well-versed in Viking horns? He's like, I do. And he introduced me to um, Joran Hallmarken. And this guy, like, it's so funny because if you've ever been to Stockholm, there's a bar there. Uh, it's it's a Viking bar. And it literally, like, it's lit by candles. It's, like, legit. And you walk in. They have a door that, like, is a bucket weight. You have to open it. It's like you go downstairs. And he used to announce people when they came in with a horn. And he told me this. And I go, I've been to that bar. He's probably announced me. It was crazy. So we, we, we got on that conversation. And then he started talking about horns. He started talking about, like, the bronze lure, which is, like, a 15th century horn. Um, it's this crazy, huge brass horn. Uh, I've never seen anything quite like it. And when you listen to it on the Internet, it's, like, it's – like there's literally, I, there's a YouTube clip. We, I looked it up, I listened to it. And I think the first comment was like, oh, that sounds like something that would start Ragnarok. And I was like, that's crazy. So we were, he had a player that had one, brought him in. We ended up recording that horn plus a bunch of other Viking horns, like a, um, a bunch of like uh, bull's horns and some more like wooden stuff. Um, but what was interesting about that is it, took a, a little bit to coordinate because, you know, none of us could go anywhere. Uh, and then what, what was going on at the same time was we had boom, uh, libraries helping us record a bunch of animal source for, for Bo. Uh, so we ended up talking to them to see if they could go up to Sweden because they're based in Germany. And they said, yes, we'll go up there and help you record this. So they went up your, uh, Johan basically coordinated the whole thing got a horn player, set up three recordings. There's like a stone pit, um, another recording in like a studio. Uh, and they, they set it up and we got, I think it was like over 58 gigs or something of horns. And it was crazy. And they all came out really good. It was it was actually a combination because the horn in game is 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 very much an animal's like tusk. So what I wanted to do is use the the weight of the bronze lure and I mixed it with the more bone heavy one to get that kind of sound to it and then created overtones and then I distorted it heavily <laughs> and and it, in, in the mix of the trait or in the cinematic we just we basically played it 12 to be hotter than everything else and. Yeah, it was the feature of that that scene, but it was crazy because all that all that came together. I'm so happy I did. You just, sometimes you just got to reach out to your friends, and <laughs> it's good. There's a pretty big collaboration too with the music because uh, you know it had to be in the right key, but also in just in terms of the pacing of like the amazing cue that's happening right before, and then the horn gets blown, and there's kind of like that pause, and that wouldn't have been possible without you know having the awesome music team be able to collaborate with us back and forth to get a rhythm that felt really nice to where like you're kind of just like stopping everything you're doing to watch him like change fate with this horn blow and then the music swells like i think that was a really cool collaboration that kind of happened a little later later on but um ended up making it like probably the best cinematic in the game
talk to me about Bjorn the Bear. I find that uh, you know, bear vocals. We've 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 experienced bears in video games and movies, but this bear is a little different. Uh, it's like there's an element of this bear that I just it's it's so well done. And um, as a player, I'm just like terrified of, of him. How did you guys tackle Bjorn the Bear? Yeah, I think we, even before the bear was even a thing, like I think we were just trying to watch movies to get inspired by when the idea of, uh, you know, this this first bear fight, this boss fight came up. It's like, well, obviously we have to, it has to feel as good as that. You're like, because that was kind of our benchmark, honestly. Atreus, where are you? <laughs> Well, we found the bear. Oh, he found us. We wanted to have to feel ferocious, but um, we wanted to also have a like a like a hair of like okay, there's this is not just some normal bear, you know, or like a big Norse bear. It's like there's a hint of like a, a you know a, a, a almost like a godly bear because of who this bear was, you know. On, so yeah, we definitely wanted to um, make this feel this bear feel larger than life uh, compared to other ones. When their bear roared, you know, you're getting, and I, I learned this from working on Garm. What really works in this engine uh, is to, with a giant roar, you create the fiction that the roar, you know, propagated throughout the world so intensely. It's such a highest PL sound that you're hearing like echoes from distant canyons, right? Like that's how, and, and that just kind of evokes terror, hearing like the power of a roar, right? So we did a lot of, uh, you know, quad, um, more tonal, uh, spatial, um, uh, um, uh, quad sounds that are on top of the, um, you know, the, the, the spatial roar. Um, and yeah, a lot, you know, same with impacts, you know, when the bear like slams down, we made sure that there's this iconic, uh, massive sound that, that also feels like it's affecting the world almost, you know, and that's, that's a big challenge. You know, I feel like, I feel like a traditional, I feel like, you know, even games back 10, 15 years ago, like thing goes boom and it's just, you hear it right there. Right. And so now when, when a thing goes boom, we, we think more about like, well, what is that doing to the environment, right? So it, maybe with snow, right, you're, you might hear the trees shake and, or like, you know, you might hear that foliage rattle, the, the tree branches rattle, uh, uh, snow, uh, that, you know, what is, what is the acoustics of that, that boss space? So we're honoring all of that. We're honoring like the environment. What does it sound like when a big high SPL sound happens in that space? Yeah, and I think because this was one of these earlier uh, creatures that we worked on, um, we probably went more ham than we did if we were to start on a creature later on, just because of you know the being at the point of the project. So yeah, that that first one has there's uh there's unique vocals on almost every single animation. Um, there's tail like much more, uh, t much more tails just involved in in general to make that piece. Since that's the first boss fight in the game, we wanted just to make it feel really larger than life and pull you in let's 
shift the conversation to Ingrid, uh, to me, you know, once again, a pivotal kind of weapon and character and the, the nuances in Ingrid to me is like, you can't overlook how much iterative process you probably went through. Talk to me just about the design phase coming up with, uh, obviously, you know, uh, we're familiar with Ingrid, but then uh, there's an, you know, we're seeing it again in a way that I feel like has been, you know, reimagined. So it talked about the process. Just from the get go, Ingrid, the pitch for us was, okay, so Atreus has a companion and Ingrid is not a person. It's a sword and she has emotions. She has feelings. She talks to Atreus. She has thoughts. And so obviously for audio, for sound, you know, that's a dream. Like, oh, I get to, you know, do the vocals of a sword. <laughs> like, let's go. Let's make this happen. So, um, yeah, you know, and, that, and from uh, talking about more referenced, you know, uh, Doctor Strange's cape, um, the stuff Nia and and the and the team at Skywalker, what they did there. Um, of course, R two D two. You can't not talk. And that's kind of the thing too. Is you know, I, I feel like a lot of like, all right, we need it to talk, but it's not vocals. Like R two D two is always in the conversation. Um, but the thing is, you know, we didn't want to go digital, right? We we wanted it to sound incredibly organic and natural, um, to because that kind of evokes the the realness of the sword it's it's literally just a sword imbued with magic so sonically it should just sound like a sword with some magic right and so <clears throat> the sound recording the sound acquisition phase was so fun right so like one one idea that we had was um having glass particles uh on top of a symbol that we bowed recording with a sankin right so you're getting this magical organic tinkling trickle whatever you know glassy sound um slowed down to where you're hearing each little you know, modulation each time it like hits you know the symbol so it's 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 a tonal metal but glassy so there's a little magic element a bit of a magical element there really sure why not The idea of oh like let's take a sword and then you know maybe put some some uh little rocky debris on it and then grind it and then that's a more physical element that we can uh maybe do some granular synthesis or just make i think i just used the raw stuff really like because it just worked right um so it's thinking about like honoring like this is just a sword but how can we record sounds to exemplify the character of a moving physical sword. And so, you know, a lot of really fun sound recording happened with that for the physical element and then the vocal element um, also imbued with uh, natural sounds, right? The same way Ben Burt used a lot of his voice for um, R2-D2, right? The whistles, organic, organic air moving through, you know, a human body, lips, whatever, right? So like similar to Brian, an ocarina was a really cool uh, 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 way to get more natural sounding air sh moving tonal pretty air, uh, sounds of just air moving through an object uh, with just human whistles um, and so I forget I think I use uh, Logic's Alchemy for uh, um, uh, morphing those two sources together to create uh, just a really natural sounding um, organic sounding uh, uh, you know uh, essentially the, the character of the of the vo voice is that 
and then all of the other physical elements are kind of the the stuff to ground it in a as a sword you know um and sweet justice did an incredible job ingesting a lot of assets and, and designing the the cinem- the uh, ingrid intro cinematic you hear um yeah it was a really that was that was a really fun one and and that's that's honestly credit to uh santa monica studio right like just the fact that they go hey let's have a talking sword that's all we want to hear for audio people right so <laughs> how does foley play into a video game like god of war ragnarok and 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 what can foley do for video games that otherwise you're not uh other you know like what is the interactivity or, or what is the contributions of foley how, how does foley play into a game like ragnarok because um you know they're not hard effects always but uh they're subtleties that really show up in, in in a big way it's it's just the realism right like fully you can you can especially with the talented fully artists we have we can just hit something that sounds just natural organic the sled vehicle um you know that was alicia and don just going to town you know finding ways to exemplify this big weighty body you know there's two gods riding a sled so it needs to sound beefy it needs to sound impressive um, but still needs to sound very natural. So when you're grinding on the ice, you're hearing ice debris, you're hearing ice cutting. They basically provided like the, the, the real elements, right? And then as sound designers, of course, you know, you can pull an ice skater grinding to a stop you know, you can pull elements from your library to make it feel more like it's it's more hype, more like, you know, it's more visceral. Um, but the I think the Foley is just the glue to the real. And we need with a, a world like God of War, really natural world. Um, you know, you can say it's there's a lot of like, fan, of course, a ton of fantasy elements, but the fantasy elements are more f- fantastical because of us grounding the audio right and and the teams the art teams all of them grounding the visuals with real visuals you know it's a really it's like an experimental process like we'll we'll go to you know our foley teams and that when we were getting uh the sounds of all the footsteps on the surfaces and even we we got a lot of new source for kratos's shields we were almost looking for our, our team to be like let's work together like let's just let's figure out cool sounds or like let's just play around and figure out how can we make some, how can we discover interesting, unique uh, things that we would never would have even thought of um, beforehand and just experiment. And so that that's a fun process just to be able to go like, let's uh, let's, you know, this is the idea, but let's see what else we can come up with. And, you know, we, we might, we'll record some fully on our own, but like if we go to, you know, the, these, these artists, they know, the ins and outs of this whole process and they can quickly go like, Oh, I know exactly the prop I need to use for this thing. Or maybe we can experiment with this and combining it with this thing. And then they're rubbing all these together. It's, it's just a real joy uh, to watch them work and super inspiring, which we, we get that from them. And it's, and, and we hope that we can also just help inspire them at the same time. It's, it's just like a really great, great process. Alex, talk to me about the spark of the world. I find that visually it's just stunning. Uh, there's so many directions you can like represent it sonically. How did you guys want to represent it, the ambiences and everything else going on? Yeah, that area is pretty wacky, like in the best way. Like, I feel like that's just the art team pulling out all the stops because, you know, like Bo was saying, like it's fantasy, but it's grounded. And that kind of goes for basically every space in the game is pretty grounded in one way or the other. But Spark of the World is just like absolutely insane. Like the visual effects, like the skybox, I like, guess it's, it's beautiful, right? Um, 
I think from a lower perspective, it's like when all the nine realms or the universe was created in Norse mythology, it's like, you know, Niflheim and Muspelheim, which is respectively the ice and fire realms, basically, they combined and created steam and then, you know, the whole universe was born. It's like their version of the Big Bang. So this is kind of like the visual and physical representation of that space. So, you know, I went through a few iterations when we were working on it, but at the end of the day, it turned out to be like super compelling. So I was like trying to make the audio at least sort of match how cool it looks because, you know, it was very inspiring. So, you know, I kind of made two distinct sonic palettes. Like one was a lot of icy, glassy tonal sounds. And the other was just kind of very like vicious, physical, rocky, lava, fire stuff. And I kind of just like split the entire area down the middle and placed icy sounds in this side and you know, fiery lava sounds on that side and kind of just played with it until it felt like good. And it's like, it is, at the end of the day, it's pretty subtle, but like, it's very like, you know, subconscious the way it makes you feel. And added a lot of really cool visual effects for like wind whipping and like a lot of hazy stuff. So this put some crazy wind in there, but obviously the spark of the world is there's the spark of the world, like in the middle. Um, and like, that can sound any which way because it's just like a big ball of light and that's with stuff swirling into it, right? It's kind of like a black hole, but a white hole. Uh, so I was like, I don't know what this should sound like. It could sound like anything, right? It's like a blank canvas for sound design. And I normally don't do sounds that are that crazy. So I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just messed, I started messing around and like using some kind of like granular stuff just to try to generate some sort of interesting textures and sound and everything matched the visuals which is at the end of the day what you want, want to do at least at a baseline but like nothing was really like that cool so it's like okay i'm just gonna like mess around and just look through our sound library and just try to find something that like sounds interesting so like i'll just put the pitch slider at like 10 percent and just play stuff in the library at random and i don't know how i got there but i think i typed in something wrong but i found like kids a kids choir warming up in a gymnasium which is weird because everyone is like not singing notes together so it's very like discordant but it felt very like well youthful right because it's a kid's choir so I was like oh that sounds kind of fun so I just like put it in to my reaper session and even just raw it sounded like amazing it was a little noisy I had to clean it up and I ended up doing some like processing to make it more tonal just to make it feel a little more clean but that's kind of the bass tone is just like this children's choir just like 
slow it down and just it sounds like it's always morphing but then like at some point in the game spoiler like you stab surter in the heart with your blades of chaos and he falls into it in order to start transforming him into the big bad ragnarok that shows up at the end of the game so like his heart is like a really important part of him because it's Sinmara's heart right um his partner so um his heartbeat is kind of like a part of him and like that's what's starting the process of him transforming so are we gonna have a heartbeat in there at some point right when he's in there like hanging out so at the time you know my wife was pregnant you know now we have a daughter she's great but at the time she was not born yet so my wife had this like what is it called like a sonogram it's like a it's like a doppler right it's like a little microphone that's you know ultrasonic and luckily it had like a 3.5 millimeter output on it so just for my own like life memory cataloging purposes i just wanted to record you know her heartbeat while she was you know in the womb but then like i was thinking oh this would be great you know like she could have her first uncredited appearance like in a game There is a distinct shift like pre Ragnarok being in the, you know, spark of the world and post. But um, yeah, that was a pretty fun area to work on. It was one of the only areas where I actually had time to like figure it out and like really try to be a little bit more creative than some of the other areas. Cause like it was just such a distinct little pocket that was very like defined and it was really cool to make it sound hopefully as good as it looks. You know, going back to some of the weapon tech, we have this, uh, the, the Dropanir drop drop Spear? How do you pronounce it? Dropanir drop Spear. Dropanir Spear. Uh, talk to me about this, the first evolution of going out to, it sounds like went out to Bakersfield and find a bunch of metal with you. It looks like you and Bo and TJ. Yeah, talk to me about the evolution of this spear. You know, like the spear is interesting because you've got three weapons. Uh, I'll, I'll answer some of this and I'll let Brian answer too because, you know, he, he was a player. But uh, yeah, so we had three weapons and you've got axe, which is, you know, Leviathan axe, which is like ice. And you've got the blades of chaos, which are fire and the spear. And the spear, it was interesting because it, it's kind of wind powered. So, so a lot of the, that's why it has like the nice flag on it. Uh, and what's interesting about the drop near spear is it, it's actually a ring. I think I have the ring somewhere, but uh, yeah, you uh, Kratos wears it. It's a magic ring, and it like regenerates. So every time he uses a spear, like throws it into the world, it'll regenerate a new one. So what's interesting about it? I, I mean, we did record a bunch of stuff in Bakersfield. Now it was at COVID again. We couldn't go into a studio, so we're like, well, what's the safest thing we can do? Right, we can drive in the middle of nowhere, mask up, and start banging metal in, in the in the field. So we literally did that, got a bunch of cool tonal stuff. Again, brought that back in the studio uh, and started working out the, what the tone was. And it took a, it took a bit, like a couple weeks, just finding the right tone. Cause uh, essentially the spear is something, if you think about it, it's, 
it is actually one of the first weapons Kratos used when he was a child, uh, back in Sparta, like Sparta times, like, uh, uh, he, he learned how to fight with a spear. And so the sound of the spear had to feel like he's been using this thing forever. Everything about it is snappy, punchy, and focused. So each move, so it starts, you've got, I think it's a four, a basic combo is like four moves. And you've got like a, the heavier combos, like five moves. Each one of those sounds different. So it looks different, sounds different, but it has a tonal quality to it. So when you, when you move through the move, it actually kind of sings to you. Again, it was like looking at Ben Burt lightsabers. How do I do that with a spear? Uh, and it was taking metal tones. It was uh, using um, some combustion source I had, like like fire going through plastic tubes. Kind of sounds really cool. Has like a whoa, kind of tonal element to it. Like that sounds very polearm like. Uh, so a combination of that, um, and then there's like a specific move. The third move in when he hits. Like he'll 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 hit it like this, like it's like really hard. You actually see the pull move. So I actually have a tonal element there. It just kind of rings out. You only get that if you're swinging it randomly. If you hit somebody, all those sounds cut off. So like as you go through the moves, it it goes from like very tonal sharp sounding to the last bit where we have a ton of wind that comes in. It's like a stereo wind with like debris and like leaves and everything. Uh, and all that stuff happens, uh, but if you're hitting somebody, that all gets get, gets cut off with the vir uh, visceral impacts. But yeah, it's pretty fun because you can play the combos, the R1 and R2, and if you go between them, it has like a cool rhythm and staccato like feel to it uh, that gives it like a ton of character. Mike just went to town with all this great source and this and like the just the library of things that he pulled from. So uh, for the re we we just basically. Um, Lewis Everest, another sound designer that we worked with, that our coworker from UK, uh, him and I, we basically just uh, filled in all the gaps where um, things were just coming in online later, which is just included like all his runic abilities where he can literally, you know, summon huge tornadoes or cyclones uh, into the world. And so we basically would create sounds for those moments. And also um, uh, each each weapon kind of had, uh, for more, more or less, they have a, like a unique intro, like kind of the... I think like it, we use that moment in the mix to kind of turn everything down and have this moment like just to feature Kratos um, and like a kind of a, an, almost like a unique tell that let players know that they're doing something awesome. So we wanted to have that same feeling, um, that same kind of setup for the spear runix. So we had like a five five dot one uh, start sound that we try to uh, you know make it feel a little bit different for each runic, but um, each one had that kind of sonic identity in terms of what it was doing. And we also got a lot of um, recordings of just hand pats because we wanted to really make you feel like Kratos has, he's used this spear all his life or he knows how to use it. And so we want to have this really tactile feel of him manipulating it. So whenever you're playing, there's all these, you, we almost turn up the sound of him grabbing things or if he's spinning it and catching it. Um, so we just really wanted to let players have that tactile feel like, yeah, I'm doing this w along with Kratos as well. One interesting thing is, is uh, 
the explosions because you can throw them out in the world, like I said. The explosion tech's interesting because it, it you can have as like up to nine spears in the world, but we built this tech around it. So like if you throw one out, it'll there's like a it'll play the last explosion. If you throw two out, it'll play the first, then the last. If it's three or more, it's first, middle, last. So we got this tech, and it actually so there are different sounds for that cadence. But what that kind of cadence does, it, it gives you like this feeling of a slot machine. So it's like ba da ba da ba da ba, ba da ba da ba da ba. So like it just becomes this very addictive thing to do when you're throwing spears out in the world, and like blowing people up, and they're like floating through the air. It's like it just yeah, it's very visceral feeling. And then the actual ping, so you actually detonate it by pinging a spear on the ground. Uh, was again through those metal recordings, and that took forever to hear that thing over and over again. Like I think we went through like 20 versions until we found the the one. It's like one sound with like a different tails, depending on how hard you hit it. But that one sound took so long. Bo, can you talk about maybe, I'm just looking at the list here, uh, if I pronounce these right. Is it Charlie, Drecky, the Flame Phantom, the Berg's Mother, the Wisp, the, um, the Nokens. There's a, a lot of other very specific vi visual, you know, each one has a physicality and a visual, um, you know, point of reference with the game design. But yeah, I mean, even looking at, you know, this uh charlie with a is it charlie is that right is that how you pronounce yeah, it charlie. yeah charlie charlie you know like we were introduced to him and you know you know uh before he's a giant tortoise uh i don't know like wh what's fun about creatures i mean like don't you get tired of like oh my god i have to come up with a, a unique i mean it just seems so overwhelming you can frame it as like oh god there's because literally there's 120 variations of creatures <clears throat> that means like you know a dragger with a sword a dragger with an axe right so there's mul multiple of the same but variations, but 120, which is a lot, right? Um, so you can view it as like, oh god, this is this is a lot, and sure it it is, but like, the, yeah, you have Charlie. So like Charlie is like, you know, it's Freya's house. So Freya's house is literally a giant tortoise with a beautiful like bunch of foliage and trees on top of him, and then he have, he has to get up to let you into the house that's underground. <clears throat> so just right off the bat, right there, like that's the most fantastical, awesome thing I've ever heard in my life, right? Please, Charlie. Mm. <laughs> hey, big guy, I'm here now, don't you worry. I need to get you warm. You're gonna have to stand to let me into that house. Think you can do that? Come on, Charlie. You have to do this. I... I can't help if you don't... Emily! Emily! Good. Good boy. And that's the thing is like, as Santa Monica makes all these really brilliant concepts and ideas and they get put in the game, it's, it's, I think for a lot of us, it's less like, oh God, this is a lot more like, oh my God, this is so cool. Right. And there's a lot of creatures that are like that. Like, you know, the, the Noken is an interesting one in that it's a kind of a sound design challenge in that 
the Nokin sings, right? And this the song um gives uh buffs and and, and uh, um benefits to enemies around, so you have to kill the Nokin first or else you're just going to be hitting this thing that's overpowered, right? And, you know, you need like an iconic sounding uh, uh, a song to catch the ear, has to cut in the mix. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of just really great sound opportunities with all of these creatures. They're incredibly varied. We have a, you know, uh, a dragon, like a three new dragon types on this game. And one is like, you know, smaller water based. Another is big kind of like rhino land based. And then one is uh, air based. So it flies um, uh, your classic, like almost like a, you know, fire breathing uh, dragon. Um, but yeah, so each of them, you know, you can you can put a bunch of uh, you, you can just have a lot of thought process with each of them. Oh, maybe, you know, the, this one that's has these gi- giant paws sounds more like a rhino. Maybe this one sounds more, you know, so it's, it's fun. Yeah. You, you just think you can think a lot about it, you know, and, and creatures, creatures, you can put a lot of effort into like fiction behind it. I have to remind myself that you guys had several years to work on this. I'm thinking of like a traditional schedule and it doesn't make it any easier. I just, uh, yeah. When we start talking about quantities of sounds that are produced for any game title, especially one like this, there's. You know, it's insane. I, I want to ask you, Bo, about uh, even a simple thing like using this tuning fork. Um, was that for the assassin? What was the use of that? So that was actually a little bit before my time. I think Brian and Mike. Yeah, Mike, Mike and I, I can't remember we exactly what spurred our, that idea. but Because the Dark Ones in the first game, we were going through their sound palettes and we found out that the designers before were using a lot of tuning forks in their sounds. So okay. I ended up going on Amazon and finding like a tuning fork set. I was like, all right, let's go to town with this. And then you had the sank in and we went in and I think we went into a studio and we're, we're had a bunch of them in our hands and we're banging them. So you get the overtones. I'd move them. And then he was moving the sink. Yeah. So we took that, the idea of, you know, uh, Ben Burr's idea of recording a uh, source for uh, lightsabers of, you know, having the mic and, waving it so you get that kind of natural Doppler effect in front of the speaker. So we just had that idea with, uh, we just grabbed a sink in and we would hit the tuning fork and then we'd just play around with getting weird movement. And then with the sink in, we were able to kind of pitch those much lower so we can get these really elegant sounding like Doppler effects, essentially. The light ones, they're supposed to feel elegant. Even when you look at them, they're 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 wrapped in drapes and, and whites and these have these ornate masks. So we really wanted to uh make them feel, especially the the assassin, make them feel very elegant and smooth and um almost regal in a, in a sense. Talk to me about working with like you know, a studio a group like like Sweet Justice. How are cinematics um supported by your team and you know what's the collaboration like with 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 them like it was actually a collaboration between three people so we wanted to bring back the foley team from the first one because 
we wanted the Foley to want it to sound very similar, right? So we brought back, you know, Formosa with uh, John, uh, Don, Je- Jeff, and Alicia. So they 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 were the first ones in, and they walked all the scenes, right? So that's where we got all the t- detail, and then we Sweet Justice took that, did all the mixing and sound effect stuff, and then really our job, Alex and I, uh, and Eric, um, and uh, you know all the other approvers had to. We our our job is just to make sure that you know what we did is we set up our LKFS standards pretty early. So we we decided like okay, so you have to hit Alex. What was it again? It was like twenty minus twenty two. Yeah, spoken VO would be around minus twenty four to minus twenty two, depending. But the 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 trick was is getting our momentary max. So that was like minus ten, I think, or minus eight. So we 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 said if you hit this, and that's like at first it was like we we're getting stuff back. It wasn't working with game. We're like, and then we decided, oh, we figured out, oh, let's let's give him a momentary max uh, value. And then Shaba took that. He's like, oh, okay. And then he started mixing stuff. And then all of a sudden, like, everything just started, like, we're, like, putting it in game. And then you were going from in-game to cinematic. It was, like, perfect. Yeah, one thing we wanted to make sure is, like, you know, we were all trying to monitor at the same monitoring level when we were mixing the game. And we needed them to also be mixing their cinematics at the exact same monitoring level. So when we get stuff back from them, we can just drag and drop it into the game. And we should have to do zero adjustments, which ended up being the case for the most part. So yeah, it was just that communication beforehand to like get it in the pocket, right? There's a little, yeah. And there's some uniqueness to it too, because um, there's also another concept of like cinematics in the game in that uh, a lot of the boss fights feature what you would const- would think are cinematics when uh, they're just boss transitions, but presented in a in a cinematic form. Where yeah, we could have outsourced it to Sweet Justice, but like, and we and we did uh, some of them, but like for the most part, Sweet Justice did the narrative cinematics, so like proper narrative cinematics. But then all the boss content was uh, uh, our pillar, or uh, um, me and then Jeremy Rogers also assisted. Uh, Mike assisted a lot, but like the boss uh, pillar um, included all of that cinematic content, which is more or less like the, the, whoa, like, you know, Thor, the Thor transitions are, are massive and, and, and high spectacle. The Garm ones are very high spectacle. Um, there's a ton, right? Uh, Heimdall, Gryla. So there's a lot of really cool bosses that have super cinematic content. That's just like so fun to work on, you know? So it kind of itches, like, you know, a lot of us have that, like, linear itch where game is fun, but every now and then it's like, let me just do something linear, you know? Um, so that that was super, super fun to work on. Brian, talk to me about the uh, the Bifrost. It's a returning aspect of this game. and To me, I find something small and subtle has a lot of care and attention when it comes to the sound that you guys are creating. Yeah, so Bifrost is one is one of the powers that is used all across one of the more prevalent enemy types in the game. Uh, from they're called Odin's army. They're called the Einhuyar. And early on in the project, uh, when the team was still forming, we we were trying to explore as a team like what does Bifrost sound like. So we 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 did a lot of uh, reference hunting, and we had like different uh, sound jams as a as a team to try to explore like different different styles of the the Bifrost. And we kind of, I, I think it was, uh, I think it was a direction that Alex was uh, really going is like getting this really tonal pulled out metal source and. And so we decided, oh, let's try to get some cool uh, recordings of underwater um, sounds, but with like metal objects. 
And so we, we have a, a hydrophone in the office and we decided to get a lot of recordings of, uh, hydrophones in, uh, big tubs of uh, water or like little canteens just to see, we can get some weird sloshing, um, and see what that sounds like. And then just stretching it out and pulling it and see what kind of things we can, we can pull from that. And then, uh, uh, Mike, I'll let you talk about you, 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 uh, had this, uh, really awesome, uh, object called a transducer. Yeah. So I, I bought a transducer, basically like, uh, haptics, like you can stick them in your seat, shape, use bass to like vibrate them. Uh, so I bought one off Amazon and I got this little amp and then I, the amp actually had a mini jack out and I was using an oscillator from a, the mod, my modular rig and we're just sweeping tones on metal objects and finding their resonant frequency and then just shaking them and then recording that uh and then doing like dives and like other stuff and then we got all that source back and it, was, it sounded insane um so yeah and then brian we did a bunch of processing on it and then that's kind of how all that came together yeah, we, we basically took that. That was kind of the the uh, the meat of the sound, but we, we also wanted to have some some uh, texture to it. So we added lots of different uh, glass and debris, small glassy debris swishing to kind of mix it around to give it a little bit of sharp edge. And that way, um, um, we we're basically kind of creating a, a, a small library. Uh, so this is one of the things that a lot of different uh, creatures could do, or it could be um, created in different moments in the cinematics. So we, we kind of created this library and made like a, a sheet so that we can have like a, a, like it's basically a style guide. Uh, so that way, whenever someone needed to create sounds of Bifrost, uh, we would just kind of hand this to them and say, Hey, here's our, here's our uh, style guide. Here's the source that you can pull from. Here's some references. This is what it looks like in game. So that way, no matter who was going to design using Bifrost, we were all kind of pulling from the same source library. And then they can kind of inject their their style um, as a designer on top of the context of what they're designing for. Alex, I'd love for you to talk about the Dynamics Mix uh, system of this game. It's something uh, when we think about mixing for video games, it's all, you know, like we're, it's driven by action it's not like it's set to a time limit. It's it's set, it's based on the character's involvement of the space. Uh, and, and basically you need to think about things could take shorter amounts of times, but things could be really long. So it's kind of like a, a variable that you, you can't set in stone. How, how do you guys handle your dynamic mixing and, and what's unique about the one that you guys built for this game? It was kind of like a house of cards in a good way. Cause there's, there's so many systems that are interdependent on one another to sound good. So one of the first things we realized we would need is like, most of the time in this game, when you're in a regular combat setup, you're fighting like many, many enemies at one time, sometimes like eight, you know, it could go up from there. So we want to make sure that it's not too cluttered because, you know, luckily, you know, there's tons of amazing sounds that are playing lots of detail, you know, lots of rich audio information happening on just one enemy. But now you have like eight of them. You got to think about, okay, well, like, it's like the whole entire, like, conversational intelligibility thing 
Like one person's talking, you know, you hear it. Two people are talking, you can kind of parse what they're saying. But then when you add three people into the mix, four, it just becomes like a big wash of sound. And you can't really pick out what anyone's saying. And we didn't really want that to happen with combat because the last thing you, you don't want to happen is um, having a situation where you couldn't really hear what you need to hear because there's just too much happening, right? So we wanted to have a system that was subtractive. And, you know, I give huge props to the Overwatch team because they're so talented at what they do. And this idea was largely inspired by them because when they were trying to figure out mixing for their game with HDR, it's like, well, volume isn't really what's important here. It's, it's more about, like, how threatening is this character to me? So if we apply that same concept to our game, it's like, well, yeah, if you're fighting eight people, you know, only one or two of them are I really need to pay attention to. So um, John McCoy at Bluepoint, who helped us a ton on this project, he kind of just went through and just got all this amazing data for us to use. And he kind of created this bucket system that would basically categorize enemies into high or low priority buckets essentially in real time and every frame this would be changing um so i think we ended up deciding that like up to two people can occupy like the dangerous bucket and then anyone who's not in that is going to be deprioritized turned down in the mix but also able to be ducked down more so once we got that tuned up and working like our combat setups became a lot clearer so that at any given time and this is always shifting like i'm only hearing the enemies that are the most threatening to me at one moment if someone's attacking me, yeah, I hear it. Now, this person's close to me, but they're not really attacking me yet. But then there's enemy over here is like firing a crossbow. So now that becomes the important thing. And I think that really like saved us a lot and really helped our combat, you know, be a lot cleaner, which then gives you more room for dialogue, more room for music and stuff. Um, and on top of that, there's a lot of stuff going on. But, um, you know, we had a lot of systems where, it is a narrative game, so at the end of the day, dialogue is probably the most important thing, especially when it comes to like narrative, you know, dialogue that drives the story. And we never, you know, wanted to get into a situation where you couldn't really tell what someone was saying. You know, we don't want you to have to play with subtitles on. So, um, what we ended up doing was the louder the game gets, the more side chaining it does. So, if you're in a really quiet space, you know, I don't really want to hear pumping in the ambience at all. And we don't really need to do much to the sound at all. If you're hanging out in like the super quiet, you know, cavern, but you know, when things are really loud, you know, you're going to want these real time side chain systems to do more work. So we kind of, were always reading how loud the game was and then just telling these, you know, multi-band side chain systems to just put in more work to kind of get things out of the way. Um, there's a lot of little things we did. Um, and we could probably talk for 10 hours about this. But those were like two things I think we did that kind of really helped get the game to be a little more clear and cohesive. I would love for each of you to share kind of your insight. Uh, you know, when I look at this, what the what they say, what the stated time is, you can spend anywhere between 25 to 50 some odd hours within the world of God of War Ragnarok. To me, as a, as a, a fan and a, just as someone who plays games, you know, throughout the year, I just find, you know, it's it's hard to quantify the amount of work and, and the production cycle, the length it takes to produce these games. But Michael, for you as a supervisor and uh, supporting your team and, you know, every detail is, you know, looked at with so much um, just care and, and nuance. What what to you is your tip uh, what, or what are your thoughts just about that, you know, for a game like this? What was your takeaway? 
I don't uh, bring your A game. <laughs> like it was, it was a challenge and it was super fun. It was super rewarding. It was, you know, there was times when it was, it was really hard and, you know, but in the end it was very satisfying and very, you know, very pleasant. Um, yeah, no, it was great. Um, getting to work on this title was amazing. Like as, as you can see, the set pieces are crazy. So uh, yeah, it pushed my leadership and my uh, sound design skills to the max. So in the end, I'm better for it. Yeah. I think the, the big takeaway I got was that be ready for anything and everything and to uh, search out for new ideas. And then when other things pop up that are better, like latch onto it, like yeah, all of us were, all of us were kind of on our islands, but at the same time we had a bridge that all connected us and we all had to connect like uh, at the same time, coordinate, with one another uh, to, you know, ship this huge game. Um, so yeah, I think it was just the the, collab the collaboration was part was the part that um, was the part that I, I I loved about it. Especially you know we're, you're growing the team over years, and then by the end it's just like okay we got to ship this, and then we're like a well oiled machine at that point. So it's really amazing to see us all kind of just firing on all cylinders and helping each other and supporting each other with the with all of our goals that we were all aligned on. I think the main thing is like building relationships, right? Because like making a game is like the biggest team effort like ever, probably. Um, so I think you know you're not going to just be able to work, you know, on an island, you know, siloed off from everybody. You're going to have to talk with people to really make the game an immersive experience that you know is really creative at the end of the day. So I think talking to you know the game director, the writers, the technical designers, you know visual effects artists, animators, like the list goes on, even amongst our audio team, you know, the sound team, the dialogue team, you can, you need just to be on the same page with everybody and working together to make the game awesome. Cause it's not just one person's effort. It's a team effort. And you can only do that by, you know, collaborating closely, but making, you know, good connections and good relationships with people. So there's a lot of trust and a lot of shared morale. I think that's the biggest thing. It's just like, no matter how tough the project gets, you know, you know that you have, you know, a network of people who are all working towards the same goal to create this amazing experience for the player. So I think having that sort of, you know, thing is really good. It takes a village. It takes a team. Um, Mike, what's the number? There are like 70 something. 73. So 73 individual humans, different people, you know, across all of our vendors, uh, in, uh, internal, PlayStation Sound, Sweet Justice. The amount of people that were on this project is insane right um and i learned very quickly that this isn't like no one can just do this by themselves even like the pillars right like we all relied on dozens of people each of us um <clears throat> so yeah like mike said you know it's it's a great opportunity to to uh work on leadership skills work on uh, uh building pipelines to be efficient because efficiency is huge um and yeah it's it. It was it was my favorite title I've, I've shipped personally. Uh, I, yeah, it's 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 just stunning to look back at it and be like, wow, that that happened. <laughs> That's crazy. Now that you've had some time away from the the project, you can reflect on it in a way that doesn't maybe feel so painful because these are very long iterative processes. And I think it, it's to me, you know, why this franchise, why the, these characters are so successful because of that process. So I think as fans, thank you for your sacrifice. 
and uh, we can't wait for the next one. So I won't ask you when the next one's coming out, but I'm excited to see what, what's next. So yeah, thank you guys all, Bo, Alex, Michael, Brian, really appreciate it. Thank you guys for uh, sharing your stories. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Michael.